Open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to finish it up this week on that one. Um, as I told those of you who were last week, could have been here a long time uh, last week looking at the entirety of the chapter. God's faithfulness is evident, though, and he is so good to us as we look at his word together. I uh, invite you to turn to uh, that and stand as we uh, read God's word together. We'll read the first nine verses, 37 through 45, together. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the, all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a chain around his neck, gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And, Joseph, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath paneah and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Father, thank you for your faithfulness shown through this man. I pray, God, that we remind, are, are reminded of your goodness, and as we look forward to our, our Savior, that you uh, remind us uh, your faithfulness and salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I've got a map today. Last week, I forgot to bring the map, but it's still going to be really small on the screen. Can we get the map up there? Uh, it, so if you've got, the, got, got your good eyes on, you'll be able to see that. There it is, right there. Oh, that's not terrible. I, when I see it on my tiny little computer screen, it's about that big. So anyway, uh, this is one of my, from one of my favorite resources. I love maps. I like to open Google Maps and find out how long it'll take from wherever it, I am to wherever that person is. And, and sometimes Google tells you you've got to swim across the ocean. That's always fun. But uh, that's, uh, it, it, you, you know, sometimes they, they put little Easter eggs in there like that. But here we see a map of Palestine and Egypt, and this is a map of where Joseph traveled during his lifetime. Now, one of the things I want to bring to mind as we look at this map, because the different colors represent different parts of the journey. You've got purple on the top, left, uh, top right hand side that shows uh, where he came from with his family. And then you have, I think it's green. Yeah, you have green for his journey into Egypt. And then you have red when he returns to Beersheba to bury his father in a few years. We see all that Joseph is a part of here and the places he went. But one of the things I want to remind you of as you look at this map is he did not determine his travel plans once. He was born up in the northern regions of this area in Haran, and his family moves south, and his mother dies giving birth to his younger brother, and Jacob and the rest of the boys are down there in the region that's just west of the Dead Sea, and he sends them off up to Shechem and to Dothan to herd the sheep. Then he sends Joseph and his beautiful coats to follow them. 
to check on them as though he were in charge of them, which is a problem because he at that time is the second youngest out of 12. The older brothers aren't very happy with him. Anybody remember what happened? They sold their little brother. Don't try this at home. No matter how much your siblings bother you, don't sell them to the Ishmaelite traders going by. Okay? But that's what happens to Joseph. He, against his will, is taken and sold as a slave in Egypt. He ends up working for Potiphar, the captain of the guard, the, chair, the, the joint chairman of the joint chiefs of staff, or whoever, you, the, the secretary of defense. He is the guy who runs that man's household. That guy's wife thinks he's cute. She gets him in trouble. He ends up in jail. Again, he is captive against his will. Then he tells his buddies what their dreams mean. In the prison, one of them happens to be the butler, the cupbearer to the baker, the other one, or cupbearer to Pharaoh. The other one is the baker. The cupbearer lives, the baker dies, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph when he has the chance to rescue him. We read last week that when Pharaoh had a couple of crazy dreams, the cupbearer remembered this Hebrew back in jail. It's only been two years. Anybody in here, against your will, spent two years in jail when you didn't do anything wrong? I don't know. I don't think anybody in here has spent time in prison. I could be wrong. I don't know everybody's story. But usually, if you're in jail, it's for a reason. You've done something wrong. But there are many who end up there against their will. Against Well, it's usually against your will. I don't think you go there if you want to. But uh, unjustly is what I'm trying to say. All right? So Joseph spends more than two years in jail. Ends up being in charge of the jail, lucky guy. You know, who wants that on their resume? Hey, you know, they sent me to jail and they put me in charge. I'm a winner. All right, so I don't think he felt like a winner at that moment. Anyway, Pharaoh has the crazy dreams. The cupbearer remembers Joseph. Joseph comes and interprets Pharaoh's dream. If you'll remember, he had a dream of seven cows standing fat and, and healthy, standing on the shores of the Nile, and seven skinny, nasty cows rise up and eat the fat cows and don't even look like they had lunch. Same, thing kind of ha- same kind of thing happens then with some ears of grain. Pharaoh is disturbed by this because it seems like the same thing has been said twice. Joseph says to him, these dreams are the same. And because, it's been the, because you had the same dream twice, basically, it means it's certainly going to happen. So Pharaoh says, what do I do about it? Joseph gives him an idea. He says, put somebody in charge that's going to take care of all the administrative needs of the land during these seven good years before these seven famine years follow. And he says, well, who am I going to put in charge? And that's where we got, came to right here. But the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh wonders, who are we going to put in charge? And Joseph says, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, right? Just get me out of the, the, out of the pit of despair, all right? Get me out of there. So now he does. Pharaoh says to Joseph, there is no one more discerning or wise than you are. So I pick you. Now, what is it? It's from riches to rags to riches to rags to riches, and remember the whole time as you look at this map, he was never driving the horse buggy. 
This was all part of God's plan, and it happened to Joseph for God's glory. So a lot of times, we think we're going to be in charge of something, and we, we go through all these hard times, and what is God putting me through, and why this, and why that? And The fact is, is that I don't have the gifting or the, or, the, or, or the power that Joseph ends up with here. Joseph is a, an, a unique human in history, because he is able to handle something that has not yet been seen. They understand feast, they understand famine. And they wonder, how is it going to work out? So Pharaoh says, since you figured out what my dream means, you get a new job. You get a new house. You get a new car. You get a new bank account. You get a new stamp. You get the best iPhone that can possibly come out so that you can send out all the messages to all the different... Okay, you know, I've just moved them into the 21st century. However, it's the same kind of idea. He goes from nothing to everything. And he stays there. This is Joseph's ultimate calling. God has brought him through all of these times, and now here he is where God had plans for all along. You shall be over my house. My people shall order themselves as you command. Only I will be greater than you. In verse 43, it says he made him ride in his second chariot. He gets Air Force Two. Right? He gets all the best. He's got the cushy seats. I bet he gets perfume, so he smells a lot better than everybody else. In Cologne, he gets a, a robe that is nicer than the one his father gave him. I guarantee you. And here it all comes. I am Pharaoh, in verse 44, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Joseph's name is called Zaphonath Panea. It's always nice when you're reading the commentaries and they say, we don't really know what that means. And that's the case with this particular name. It's, it's something to the effect of out of, you know, Riches from nothing, something like that. And, and it's, but it, it, it's not a Hebrew word, it's an Egyptian word. But anyway, he gets a wife, and it's the daughter of the priest of On. Now, where is On? Well, On is actually, you see the, you can probably see the Egyptian delta, the, the, the Nile delta there. It's where the points meet. It's a very important city. It's called Heliopolis in, in, the, in the, the more... Greco-Roman era. It's a very important place. And Pharaoh gives him the priest's daughter in marriage. Who, though, is Joseph still? He is faithful to the one true God. And as we see those things work out, this is the, the reminder we get. In verse 45, we see that he is 30 years old. He was 17 when he went to check on his brothers. They sell him. He works for uh, Potiphar for 10 years, and then he ends up spending more than two years in jail. We know that because it was two years from the time that uh, the, the cupbearer remembers him after he interpreted his dreams. So, it took 13 years to follow the paths that you see on the north end of the, 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 the map right here. Again, all against his will, but all within the plan of God. 
everything you endure, everything that I go through in life, we may not understand it as God has put it together, but we need to realize in the midst of all of the things we go through that God is sovereign. He is going to use the events in your life, good and bad, ultimately to His glory if you are faithful to Him. It's always going to be to His glory. He is the one who is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And He is the one who's going to draw it all together. And here we see that really this ordinary Hebrew is raised to the role of what we would call vice president. You know, he couldn't inherit the throne, but he was almost there. And uh, so, yeah, he was given the daughter of the priest, which was a big deal because uh, the religious order of the Egyptians of the day, that would have been a high rank. He was given, uh, that meant he was an important person of faith, even if he didn't follow the faith of the pharaohs before him. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. He went on a tour, verse 46 it says. He went and checked out everything. He learned what the lay of the land was. He learned where the big cities were. He learned where the people were. And this is going to matter here in a few, in a few verses because we're going to see that he takes advantage of this knowledge. He learns, he spends time learning where God has placed him. He understands the context and where he lives there. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, verse 47. And in verse 48, he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. Now, a lot of times people try to, uh, when they're planning ahead, they hoard it all in their own garage, basically. But Joseph sees that there's all kinds of people everywhere. And so he sees that the grain is growing in the south, the grain is growing in the north, in the east and the west, as, you should, as, as it can. And he sets up storehouses wherever the people are. He goes into the whole nation and he pre- prepares all this up. Ver- verse 49, he stored it up, he stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. The only thing that I have seen in such numbers are weeds. It just doesn't seem like you can get control of all of them. They just take off. You pull some and more pop up over here. But in this case, the grain outnumbers, it says, the sands of the sea. Does that mean it literally happened that way? No, it just seemed that way. I mean, they're in the, you know, in the midst of the Sahara Desert. <laughs> There's a lot of sand. But there was enough grain, as they said there, for the whole world of their day. The whole world needed food. And he set up Egypt as the most powerful nation of the day, as the storehouse for all the people of that known world. And uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about how many people were here. I didn't do that research here, but I have gone back in time as you see the multiplication of the human race and how the, the population just continues to grow exponentially because that's how that works when God says, go forth and multiply, be fruitful. And, you know, and, and we see that there was an early time when the number was much smaller. And yeah, they were probably all over the, as we see historically, uh, ruins of things, but they're all over earth. But in this day, Egypt 
was the biggest place that could be imagined. And it's an important location. It's right there in the Nile. It's, uh, it's, as we've seen in the greater map there, it's in the middle of a desert. It's a green belt. It's in the middle of the desert. It, if you're going from Asia to Africa, you have to go through Egypt, right? You also, the best path to go, ultimately, is one of the reasons that the land of of Canaan, the land of the Israelites, has been fought over so much throughout history. One of the reasons, not just, uh, but this is actually a minor reason, but it's because it's kind of the highway between continents. It's close to water. It has uh, land that is relatively easy to travel through. And now we find that they are going to be protected because of their location now to this land that is in Egypt. There is so much grain that they can't count it, they gave up. Anybody ever have their bank account that full? Not me. Uh, sometimes the dirty laundry seems like that. Usually we think of, of, of stuff like that in, in a negative sense. But here it's in a positive sense. They quit counting. It, times were so good. But what did Pharaoh know? It was only going to last seven years. Now, after the first year of the famine, you can start to see that stock diminishing a little bit, right? But the pile's still pretty big. And then in the second year, it gets a little smaller. And then by that point, everybody else around them starts suffering. And that's where we're coming to right now. We're not quite there. I got ahead of myself. Verse 50, before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Names always matter in the, New or in the Old Testament especially. And in, into the New Testament they get changed along the way too. But the name Manasseh means... I've forgotten my affliction. What was Joseph's affliction? That he had been forgotten. Right? He had been sold as a slave. He didn't think that anybody in Canaan, anybody in Beersheba or Dothan or any of those places remembered him anymore. It had been a long time since he had been home. And now he realizes that God has not forgotten him. He's blessed them with a family. And I was forgotten. That's basically what the name of Manasseh means. And then in Ephraim, is the second born. He says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He never sees being in Egypt as the place where he ultimately belongs. It's the place of his affliction. But he's fruitful, and that's what the name uh, Ephraim means. Looking forward a little bit here, and we'll come back to this as we close this up, as we see Joseph's, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob's involvement in all of this, we see that Joseph is duly blessed in the, the tribes that, become, that come from the 12 sons of Jacob, or the 12 tribes of Israel. We see that Levi becomes the priestly tribe. They don't get specific land. They get cities within the tribes. But we find that Joseph gets two tribes. They call them half-tribes. And they're two of the larger tribes, Ephraim 
and Manasseh. Ephraim actually is then also carried forward as one of the names often used to describe the ten northern kingdoms of Israel after, the, after Judah splits off after the death of Solomon. So we see that then the secondborn receives a greater blessing than the first. All kinds of crazy things going on here. But we find that God blesses Joseph beyond what he ever could have imagined. And again, God's blessings outnumber the sands on the seashore. We see that picture from Genesis chapter 22. It's one of the verses I want to draw attention to here because uh, it is a fulfillment of the promise that God makes to Joseph's great-grandfather. Genesis chapter 22, in the context of the... uh, Sacrifice that didn't happen with Isaac in verse 15. It says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And this is then Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Beersheba is on that map we just looked up here. That's, that's where Jacob and his family end up settling. So um, we see that the offspring shall bless all the nations. And that ultimately is what we see happen right here. Verse 53, the seven years of plenty, and this is back in chapter 41, verse 34, Seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph has said. There was famine in all lands, and in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. He doesn't use that name that we see him receive as more of a title that the, uh, the one up in verse 45, Zaphonath Paneah. He says, Joseph, that's who who you go to. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Why why, Why does this stopping here make a difference? Well, we have a big, big thing happening in the next chapter we're going to look at next week, first of all. But secondly, we need to see a couple of things that are fulfilled. First of all, God rescues his faithful. That is Joseph. He puts him over all, basically, of the known world in that time, except for one. That is Pharaoh. He holds his seal. He holds his rank. He can't do uh, anything that Pharaoh does. He's running through Joseph. He is the chief of staff. He is the one who's making all of these things happen. And, and you can use this in the context of spiritual giftings, uh, that gift of administration. There are people in the world who just know how to get other people to do things. That is really cool when you can see that happen. And that's one of the things we see with Joseph here. He puts it all together. The people trust him. They do what he says. But we also see a partial fulfillment of that blessing that is offered in chapter 22. Ultimately, that blessing belongs to Jesus, and that's why we sit here today. But here we see that 
Abraham's offspring, that is here Joseph, is a blessing to all of the nations because they don't starve. You see? That's a partial fulfillment. And we see that in a lot of prophecies, that we see it fulfilled first in one way and then in another way later. And in this case, it's the, the people of Egypt and the surrounding countries survive, the world, all the world, it says here. But then later, we see that fulfilled ultimately in Christ, because without Christ, none of us would be saved. We do not have salvation outside the blood of Jesus Christ, and He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, not of Joseph, but of Judah, who we looked at in chapter 38 a few weeks ago. We see that He is the fulfillment, ultimately, of that blessing that God has given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. It is also evidence that we can be sure of the promises that the promises Jesus makes of his return are true. That he's coming back. And how do we know this? Because of what we have already seen in the scriptures. We see this fulfilled through Joseph, we see it fulfilled in Jesus and in his resurrection and in his ascension and the falling of the Holy Spirit upon the church. That is the promise, the seal of his return. He's coming back. And that is the hope that we have now for eternity. We had seven good years in Egypt. Then he had seven years of famine and it affects the entire world around them. And the fact is, is that in our world today, we see those same kinds of cycles. We see those same kinds of blessings. We see those same kinds of curses upon the land. We see good times and we see bad times. And we must always realize that our, our, our faithfulness to the Lord is what matters the most in those times. God calls us, like Joseph was here, to be good stewards of what he has given and ultimately, we are stewards of the gospel. It doesn't talk about a material blessing here, ultimately. It's a spiritual blessing of God's inheritance upon those who have faith in Him. It's who trusts Him that receive the ultimate, eternal blessing. And that blessing starts out in Genesis 22 when we see He makes that promise. He makes it more than that, but we're, we're starting there at this moment. With Abraham, it goes to Isaac. Isaac goes to Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons, and we see that fleshed out in a lot of different ways through that. But ultimately, it's fulfilled in Christ by his salvation. Our inheritance is guaranteed as he has offered us greater numbers than the sands on the seashore. Got about a, a third to and a half inch of gypsum here. And some paper. I still haven't figured out the paper. Anyway. So when we see the sands here, you can take a handful of it and just sprinkle it back down. And just see what happens when you do that. Do that on a windy day. Just don't stand in the path of the sand. Right? The wind's blowing that way. You want to stand with it over here. Be nice to your friends. What happens when the sand gets blown? The blessings go to all. God calls His church to be the fulfillment of this blessing. To proclaim the good news in the land of the living. 
I, I had this verse in last week's, but I didn't end up using it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We've been going through Ecclesiastes on Wednesday nights. We're going to close that up this week. But um, Ecclesiastes verses, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. We see the fulfillment here. And I, and I see this picture of Joseph here. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. We see that fulfillment in God's wisdom and trusting in him, growing in his grace, growing in his mercy. God works in his time to bring his fulfillment. So the question is, do you trust him today to take over all of these trials and tribulations and frustrations in your life? Do you believe that he is the one who can bring fulfillment in all those things? Will you trust him in, the, in some of the craziest moments in history that we're enduring right now? We've seen some ugly times, even in some of our lifetimes here. But we're in a really odd time right now. Will you trust him as faithful? Will you trust the one who gave his only son for you so that you might receive that inheritance that is given through Abraham and his descendants? Will you trust Jesus today? Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, how you guide us, how, you walk, how we can walk in your mercies. I pray, Lord, that you work in our hearts today, that you change us and draw us to salvation in your name. Thank you for your faithfulness and your word. I pray for the one who needs to take a step of obedience to trust in you today, that you give them the courage to do that. Help each one of us be obedient to your call and realize your power and your grace and your sovereignty that we can follow you and trust you. Be with us today as we follow you, that we will be obedient 